And welcome everyone to the Depression to Expression podcast, where we have an honest dialogue about mental health. If you're watching on YouTube, that's cool. If you're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Music, don't matter, baby. As long as you're listening, we're talking with a naturopathic doctor. Extremely important. If you're dealing with anxiety or depression, you need to listen up. Grab a blankie, chill out, grab a tea. We're talking about the gut-mind connection here. How does what you eat affect how you feel? This is very, very important. Chill out, enjoy, and thanks for listening. Andrea Horta. Hortas. Did I get that right? You did amazing. Yes. It's Andrea Arta. I can roll my R's. <laughs> he practiced that like eight times, actually. <laughs> no, when I went to Portugal, um, when abrigado Mm -hmm. i just felt so cool saying that it just flows so well um if you say gracias in in portugal they don't really like it eh no they're still a little they're still a little at war with the spanish yeah i know they look at you like wrong place but uh, i can roll my r's so welcome to the podcast everyone who's listening welcome this is the depression to expression podcast for those who are watching on youtube Hi, but I won't be looking at the camera here. We're just going to post a few images throughout the podcast here to explain what we're talking about. And that is obviously mental health depression and the mind and gut connection. Woohoo! Now, Andrea. Yes, Scott. Is a naturopathic doctor. Now, for those listening, what does that even mean? It means I decided to take the long, hard road, hard road down a very not walking path. <laughs> so basically, you have a conventional doctor, which is a medical doctor, and they go through several years of school. Yeah. And when they come out, they usually treat with pharmaceuticals, right? Those are the tools that they use, and it's a very effective in many cases. Right. Whereas a naturopathic doctor, we go through probably about eight years of schooling we have to do an undergrad followed by a four-year doctorate afterwards Um, and instead of using pharmaceuticals as our tools we have a whole other toolkit so our toolkit involves looking at people's nutrition and lifestyle so we're fixing like nutrient deficiencies we're looking at people's digestion we're looking we're talking about people's poops Um, We're giving supplements. I know. We use supplements. We use (laughs) herbs. Um, A lot of us do acupuncture. I I use a lot of acupuncture in my practice. Um, Some people do homeopathy. And then there's a whole big health psychology piece, which is at least 50% of my practice, which is a lot of counseling. Just listening. People need to be listened to. And unfortunately, the medical system, as we have it here in Canada, we don't have that time to listen to patients, right? Right. And part of that therapy and part of that cure is just to be heard. So that's an important piece, too. So as a naturopathic doctor, can you still prescribe uh, pharmaceutical medications? Um, In different provinces, it's completely different. So, for example, in BC and Alberta, naturopathic doctors are full physicians, so they can go ahead and prescribe everything. There's different types of licensing exams. In Canada, um, or sorry, in Ontario, we only have, I think there's like maybe eight to ten different drugs that we do have access to and that we can modulate or change for a patient, but not, not everything. So every province is different. And I know in the States, there's a lot of functional doctors, which are kind of a combination of a medical doctor and a naturopath together. And they're able to do that because it's a totally different system. Right. And as a naturopathic doctor, I know there's, it's almost like um, physical trainers. You can do like a weekend uh, 
personal trainer entry level thingy mabob, and then you can be a personal trainer. Right. And I think it's the same for naturopathic doctors, osteopaths too. It's like you can do maybe a year of schooling or six months and you can be labeled as an osteopath or a naturopath, but a naturopathic doctor, what you went through is the real deal. Mm -hmm. We kind of need to make that clear to people too. So what are like the two options you can you can do? You did a total of how many years of schooling? Nine years. Nine years. Yeah. And then can't you be, be a natural path in a shorter time? Um, I'm not too sure, Scott. I've never looked into just a naturopath. I have been told by other friends, like apparently in Montreal, there's a course that you can do. It's 12 weeks and it's some type of natural health expert but it's not a naturopathic doctor. You're not looking, so a natural health expert or a naturopath in that way, they wouldn't be looking at blood work. Like we look at blood work, we do venipuncture, which is like working like injections. So there's a lot of things that we do on a disease level that a regular um, natural health expert would do. It's hard for me to call them a naturopath because for me, a naturopathic doctor is a naturopath and that's someone who looks you know, at the patient from a disease or condition perspective. Right. Instead of just like, oh, let's just fix your diet. No, let's look at your hormones. Let's look at your vitamin nutrient deficiencies. Let's look a little bit deeper. So going on. So what was the what was the big motivation instead of being a, a, you know, generalized medical doctor, Mm -hmm. right, or a family doctor in that traditional sense? Why did you go to the naturopathic route. <laughs> you want and the true answer? I know. Let's let's give true the viewers answer? the true answer. And you can go into what we spoke a little bit about in, in that journey through that if you're if you're willing. Oh, okay. I'm not too sure what you're talking about, but Well I how mean, you actually true... how hard natu- the school was. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh my unbelievable. god. I can't remember that. He has such a good memory. <laughs> oh, I'm so impressed. Um, no, so the true answer is I met a chiropractor that I was lustfully in love with, <laughs> which is kind of weird. But um, I didn't know what naturopathy was. And he was a chiropractor and he was doing uh, a lot of different treatments. He was doing Pilates and he was doing all these like uh, supplement stuff and uh, with his patients. And he was like, I think you're going to be a great doctor. You should go check out this school. And I had never even heard of it. So when I went down, I went one day to the school. I checked it out. I thought it was cool. And I thought, okay, maybe this is going to be amazing. This is going to be interesting. I totally thought it was more of an artsy feel. I didn't know how detailed and how medically based the whole program was. I didn't realize the sacrifice and it was a lot. So basically, before I could get into naturopath school, I had to do three years of of organic chemistry, biochemistry. I had to do, um, I had anatomy and physiology already. So you had all these prerequisites that you needed before you could even enter and they were all science-based. And so it took me at least two and a half years. Yeah, so I was basically working full-time at CIBC in the communications department, which is like complete opposite of being And for for those who don't know, CIBC is a bank in in Canada. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I was working at CIBC from eight to four, and then I would just like literally either go to class in the evening, you know, to do organic chemistry, or I'd go study from like, you know, probably about five to like eight or five to nine. So that happened for about two and a half years to get into the program. And then once I was in the program, it's a four-year doctorate. The first two years were hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it was 13 exams in like literally five days it was nuts so we had exams in the morning exams in the evening kind of felt like the school wasn't really communicating so everyone had their course that they really wanted to push on you 
but then we had we had 13 other courses where everyone thought it was so important right immunology anatomy physiology all these things so it was really really intense and that first year I went through like massive panic attacks in the first year I ended up losing my partner of four and a half years who I thought I was going to marry so that was like a big shocker I thought he was going to be by my side but I guess the stress was a little bit too much Um, that was after the first year and then going into I don't even know how I made it through the second year because I was barely passing it was so hard like it was just trying on every level but also I mean to, to, to be truthful I was working still 30 to 32 hours a week bartending in the evenings right so I was like in class 50 hours a week and then I was bartending 30 hours a week. So my Monday class sessions, <laughs> I would never show up. Oh my it was like from se- Monday was 7 to 7 p.m. And I would never actually show up because I couldn't because I was exhausted from working three nights until 435 in the morning. Yeah. Right. And a really high intense pace um, environment. So my body and my brain were really tired. So, you know it's rightfully noted, like if you're going to go into a medical program, you really just take out as many loans as you can and just study <laughs> yeah. because what I did was really hard and and I suffered because of it like I failed courses because of it I had to retake a lot of things and it cost me a lot more money than it needed you know so that was a really painful experience for sure so what happened was after the second year it was so painful that I decided to quit <laughs> I quit naturopathy for two full years and all I did was bartend I bartended I did a lot of personal training and I read a lot of books I got into just like business books and women's business and it was still about health and wellness but I was just trying to find my way because I was like what the hell am I going to do I invested two years and now I'm like in my third in my mid-30s what the hell am I doing and then I had a good friend of mine who's a naturopath and it's been two years and she's like what are you doing she's like you need to go back and I'm like, I can't go back. It's been two years. How am I supposed to go back? And she's like, you just got to try. If it's the right path, the doors will open for you. And I was like, God, I can't even imagine it. So I thought, OK, maybe she's right. She's obviously got her shit together. So why not? Right. Yeah. So I applied to go back and they accepted me. But it was for sure one of no, not one. It was the worst year of my life, for sure. I walked into third year, so it's a medical program. Everyone knows every everyone just finished second year. Right. So everyone is on the ball. They know everything. They know the conditions, the diagnosis. And so we're walking into third year, which is a practical year where we're taking cases, examples of cases, and we have to be able to like, okay, what would be the lifestyle changes that you would give them? What would be the herbs that you would give them? What would be the practical adjustments that you would give them like you you need to know these things and people hated me in their group because I didn't know anything I was walking in completely you know oblivious and I went I got into clinical depression within I would say uh, within the first two three months I went right in I it was so bad it was so hard Scott as you know you suffered with depression so you know yeah a lot of people don't know that I've that I've gone through this, so it's interesting that I'm sharing it now here with you. But um, yeah, it was moments where I would, it would I would be lying in bed, and I knew I had to be at school for seven, but I couldn't even lift my bed sheet. I was like, no, just you just got to lift the bed sheet, just get, just make one move. And so I'd move the bed sheet, then I'd be like, okay, now just move your feet to the off the sofa, just you know, and off the sofa, off the bed, just move one foot off the bed. 
and I'd have to move one foot off the bed. Then it was like, okay, just make it to the washroom and take a shower. And so like every moment when you're really depressed, every moment is so hard. Yeah. Right. Because you just there's no point. You have no effort. You have no motivation. And what's the point? What's the purpose? Mm -hmm. And anyways, I don't know how I did it, but I continue to lean in. And that's one thing that I tell my patients now, even when you're feeling shitty, you have to absolutely lean in because if you isolate yourself, it's worse. Yeah, it's so much worse because you just get deeper into that depressive vortex almost. It just sucks you right in. Right. So just continue leaning in is what I did. And so I'd show up to school and I remember walking into the library and everyone is on their computer, like typing away so quickly because everyone has all this shit they have to do because it's constant stress. It's right. The stress load is crazy. And everyone in, in the course is a top high achiever. Everyone's right. like top triple A, mm -hmm. super smart, mostly women, unfortunately. <laughs> it would have been nice to look to look at a man. But anyways, so I remember walking into the library, seeing everyone working so hard. And then next thing you know, looking over to the corner and you'd see like girls crying. Oh, <laughs> man. Other people are having breakdowns too. It's I'm not the only one suffering with this high anxiety, high stress, right? Yeah. So it's something that you go through. I think medical programs, they say dentistry is like that too. There's like a high anxiety, high stress, high suicide rate with dentistry. Right. So, I mean, it's just it's just the way it is, right? It's just that stress is really high and you have to try to find a way to balance it out. And I know people in the program that did really well and didn't have that much stress. And I would say those people were probably a lot more supported. Right. They were probably living with maybe their folks because they were a little bit younger. They didn't have to worry about making money for rent and for school, which is what I was worried about, mm -hmm. um, let alone, you know, how to be able to provide in terms of food. Right. So, so there's a lot of stressors. So, yeah, a lot of stressors throughout. So even when you took that break and working mm -hmm. full time, it was still nonstop work for you. Yeah, it was still not, you know being able to take a breath for years at a time. So do you think it finally took its toll when you went back? It's like high stress, a tough work environment, needing to catch up on all of this. Um, you said you were in your 30s and there was maybe some existential crisis going on too as to mm -hmm. should I really be doing this? Yeah, what's do my purpose? Right, right. But now as a naturopathic doctor going mm -hmm. through all of that with depression, mm -hmm. um, do you find that in your practice, when you see a lot of clients, um, do you have this different empathetic approach to your to your practice? A hundred percent. It's 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 an empathy, but it's more like a confidence. I look at depression whenever patients come in with depression. I look at them and I stand for them, and I and I say there is a huge like you know f word. <laughs> You can say can it. I you say can it? say it. There's a huge fucking light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. There it really is. And it's it's just like one of those things where you just have to keep leaning in and you have to find the right medical professionals that are going to support you. Right. Because if you're going to a medical professional and they're just sedating you, not giving you any progress or steps for progress, then that means you're not getting the right care. Because you don't want to just stay stuck in where you are. You want to see a little bit of a change so you can grow, so you can have a good quality of life, right? 
So that's the biggest thing. And I went through, I went through tons of like counselors. Are you kidding me? So many of them did not relate to me until finally I started doing the right work. So CBT therapy once a week during that third year when I went back was what saved me really because it helped I didn't even talk about past trauma or anything it was mainly just working on my worries and my thoughts I used to walk into school thinking it was this like massive monster probably bit bigger than this building that we're in you know but meanwhile it wasn't but my mind had created this anxiety and this depression around it that it basically immobilized me I was so afraid to go to school you know, I remember like in the middle of my days calling my my roommate and saying, I can't do it. I can't go to this practicum. I can't go. And she's like, yes, you can. Don't worry. Just go on in there. And it's just like, you know, you suck it up and you do it. I think a lot of people do not feel supported by their doctors mm-hmm. if it's a traditional doctor. And we still think and we've experienced doctors with the white lab coats um, where you go in and they'll prescribe you something because some, sometimes that's all they know or that's the best they can do in a 15-minute session. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's what's great about what you do is not only do you wear cool shirts and have sunglasses and look so <laughs> hip, but that all that actually adds to like the trust factor of having a doctor. It's not – there's not a barrier between I'm a professional, you're the patient – I think you're on the same level with your with your clients mm-hmm. because you understand what they're going through to a certain degree. You know you know the science, you know you you've studied, but you've also been through it yourself. And I think having that trust is something that's really missing in the medical community. So on behalf of everyone listening and myself, thanks for being such a cool doctor. Um, Of course. Now let's talk about the World Health Organization and depression. What is going on in the world? With depression. <laughs> What's going on? Why is everyone so depressed? Well, that's a good question. I mean, there's many causes. Well, first we should we'll say get to that. that the WHO yep. apparently in 2008 came out came out with this, like, I guess a stat saying that that depression or major depression is basically the third biggest disease burden worldwide. But as of 2013, 30 22030 they're predicting it's going to be the first major cause of disease burden worldwide so that's a big stat that's a big thing to say for the who well i think a world health organization so we think of depression almost as a a western illness too but that it happens worldwide and some people Mm -hmm. yeah they don't they don't talk about it or you know some places in europe are better than some places elsewhere um but it is a worldwide catastrophe right mm-hmm. and, and an epidemic for sure so wh- what ca- what are the causes of of depression and i know like we always want to say there's one cause too to an illness and i think with the medical community and what we are still telling people is these two words that have been debunked and we can look into this uh, in future podcasts but two words chemical imbalance people are so that's so ingrained in people's mind it's like i first of all i have depression which Mm -hmm. i totally disagree when people use that word i have it um it it, the chemical imbalance part is we're so we're so based on or we're so attached to that that reason for depression but there's obviously a cause to that 
And and what are some of the causes that you, that you see in your I practice? I would say it's a cause to chemical imbalance. I would say that the chemical imbalance imba- model is like an old model of understanding depression. Mm. It's based on, oh, you have serotonin deficiency or you have low dopamine or just something is wrong in terms with your brain chemicals. You're not producing enough or that imbalance that's the old model but right now, i think a lot of people love those those two neurotransmitters it's yeah. like it's like the only thing that's going on in your brain is serotonin and dopamine it's it, but there's a lot more to it yeah exactly those guys are really important yes yeah but they're not the main or the only cause there's lots of contributing causes and who knows it could be more than one Right. right at one point so i had written down a couple of of causes that i see regularly one it could be um poor digestion if people aren't you know breaking down their foods and what's linked to that is your gut microbiome which is what people are talking about a microbiome is basically the whole like thousands and thousands of different bacteriums that live in your body and it's basically from cheek to cheek Okay, so from (laughs) your mouth, there's bugs all the way down the tubes into your stomach through all your 25 feet of um, intestines and all the way out through your colon, which is where the end of your butt is. Right. So that's really important. So that microbiome could be one of the causes if there's a disruption in those bugs, if there's like high yeasts in those bugs, if there's any viruses or parasites in those bugs, something there can be affecting your gut can actually have a connection to your brain, which we're going to talk about later. Okay, that's another cause. Um, Nutritional deficiencies can be a cause. So um, we, I had given you a picture of um, ni- a niacin book called The Niacin Cure by Abraham Hoffman. Posted it up right yeah. here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so what was the other one? The other one was inflammation. And so usually whenever you have, if you have that disruption in your gut, you can ha- instead of having a nice, strong, tightly bonded seal around your stomach lining you end up having these gaps or what's what we call leaky gut where things that are supposed to be digested inside your stomach big protein pieces or pizza pieces of fat or whatever it is that are supposed to be broken down because of this like leaky gut or this permeable lining these big pieces are coming through the gut and going and traveling through the bloodstream all the way into the brain and so there's inflammation or an inflammatory response means your immune system sees this invader in the bloodstream and says, whoa, that's not supposed to be there. That's supposed to be in your stomach. How did that get through? So your immune system goes after it and basically blows it up. And that's what you call inflammation because that blowing up of that molecule is this all these like little tiny, um, they're called cytokines or inflammatory markers that basically make things swell up. They damage tissue, right? Mm. So there's swelling, there's more fluid that goes there, there's heat, sometimes there's pain, and that can happen in the brain. It can happen in joints. Sometimes people get migraines, sometimes people get rashes. So this whole leaky gut is having a big impact in all of the body, including the brain. And that's a pretty, is that a fairly new um, well, I, did it happen more in the East when it comes to digestion and mind-gut connection? Is this pretty new in the West? No. Well, I mean, the in terms of leaky gut, leaky gut's been talked about for about 15 years now, so people really know it. Nice. Um, it's just more like the medical system hasn't necessarily, you know, always embraced it, but yeah. now slowly they have no choice because of the research. Right. But the whole gut-brain connection, that started about 70 years ago. 
Yeah, there was a, a researcher by the name of Almi and, and their colleagues, and they were just, they were looked specifically at the stress signal and the and um, the gut. So basically, if you had stress in your brain, what would happen to the gut and how people would have, you know, like, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this. Whenever you're nervous, do you find that you have loose stools? Of course, yeah. Diarrhea? That's right, yeah. Or other people, when they're really anxious or stressed out, they might be constipated. Yeah. Right? So that connection to the from the brain to the stomach was there initially. And For now sure. they're knowing, now with all the research, they're showing that the gut is affecting the brain. Oh. So in terms of, so it's basically it's a bi-directional. It goes both ways, from gut to brain and brain to gut. Right. Because we always thought like the, the brain to gut was so clear to me. Like mm-hmm. you, you feel anxious, I lose my appetite like that. There like my, my stomach, it feels like my stomach shrunk. Yeah. It's like, why, you're anxious. Why would you eat right now? You got a, a bear's chasing you, right? Um, yeah, but, exactly. but the reverse is something that's pretty new to people, which mm-hmm. I understand to a point. You think of the mind as something completely isolated than everything else. It's mm-hmm. a different organ. Like you have a liver problem, you treat the liver. If you have some problem with your lungs, you treat the lungs. Brain, just treat the brain. But this is really interesting and and something very important that i'm really glad we're talking about so can i add something to what you just said yeah i'm just so happy that you mentioned that because that's exactly the old model well especially the conventional medical system they look at things from a narrow lens right so they'll just look at your brain if you have a brain problem whereas in the east and that's how naturopaths are taught because we we mix east and west medicines right when you look at the east we look at the whole entire body and how everything is connected all systems are connected, right? Right. The gut is affecting your brain. The gut is affecting your mood, affects your blood circulation. So yeah. you know, it's all interconnected. So we need to start looking at a patient with a bigger scope. Absolutely. Right. And it's not just, well, even I think of psychiatry. You go to see a psychiatrist and let's say you, you, you take medication, but then a lot of time that's not enough. You need to then see a psychologist and work some of these thoughts out and then maybe you know what you're eating sugar like sour keys all day you got to fix something and then you have mm-hmm. your social relationships on the other side and if you're lonely all the time and have no friends all the medication and psychotherapy won't do much if you still go go home alone and don't have those connections right so i think that holistic approach is exactly yes. what we need to do with with the with the mind and body and that's why i love osteopathy so much Mm. this guy i see i think yeah i I talked to you about him yeah we've been emailing each other back and forth what he asked me if i wanted to go work there what i'm like what no way yeah he's such a cool guy he is such a cool guy thomas hein right that's right oh i want to have him on the podcast too we you both should be on this couch okay um, but that's what's so cool about it. I've never experienced that. You usually go to physio mm-hmm. and it's like I have a knee problem. So they massage the knee. They work that area. Maybe they'll go a little higher to the hip, see what's going on. But but Thomas and osteo- osteopathy, I'm like, I had a sore ankle. He was working on my neck and like he was working on my traps, which then affected my ankle. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and the relief in like one session, which was what? it's so cool what he does. Um so I think it's the same kind of approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the leaky gut, that's that's huge. 
Right, because we were talking about causes. So we talked yeah. about the microbiome as a cause, the inflammation that's happening because of the leaky gut. We talked mm-hmm. about nutrient deficiencies. Obviously, you're not going to be absorbing things. We talked about, to- oh, we haven't mentioned toxins. So there's quite a bit of literature on toxins that can affect the brain, like pesticides. And guess where most pesticides are found? In the food that we eat. Right, yeah. <laughs> right? And then also heavy metals. Heavy metals can play a burden on the brain, specifically mercury, Um, aluminum and what was the other one arsenic I had written down but specifically with mercury it's really interesting I saw a video from this like old Japanese researchers where they had a piece of mercury next to a nerve and this mercury as soon as they brought the mercury into the picture the nerve it was like a firecracker it just really disappeared so can you imagine if you have mercury in your body what it's doing to your nerves yeah it's not good it's degeneration it's Mm. terrible so that's why if you're eating tuna stop like all tuna a hundred percent or what about wild tuna yeah no no tuna but tuna is so delicious no tuna shark and swordfish those are the three most toxic fish because they're massive and they've been around for a long time and they have loads of toxins. Huh. So I would well, say shark, stay away from it. Shark is definitely no problem for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had shark. I know. But you, when you go to an Asian market, they always have they shark always fin have soup. Shark. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those are some painful videos to watch. So I mean, like, if you want to enjoy tuna, like a beautiful tuna tartare every now and then, fine. But I mean, yeah. some people, like, I had a patient who literally was having tuna every day for lunch. Right. Like tuna was, sandwich. Yeah. It was like an easy thing for him to do and it was affordable, you know? So I don't blame him. Yeah. Little did he know he had mercury poisoning. Whoa. His numbers were through the roof and he was having all kinds of twitches and nervous problems. He had problems with his heart. It was weird, and no one could figure it out until we started doing metal testing on him, right? And that's a whole separate blood test that you do Compl- for that, right? It's not even a blood test. That one's a urine test. Oh, okay. Yeah, you pee for 24 hours, <laughs> and you take this stuff that binds to the metals, the mercury, and then it pulls it out of the tissues. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think cool. when, it, when it comes to tuna, my philosophy was, like, you kind of look at the can or what you're eating. It's like, oh, sweet, like, low sodium and high protein content, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this is a great lunch. So easy. Just slop it on some bread. Um, but that's something that's uh, really interesting that we should all all think about. So we, we talked about a lot of causes. What do you want to go in depth with? What do you want to talk about? Um, I think it'd be fun to talk about, like, the gut-brain axis. We kind of talked a little bit about it, but... So we want to go in depth with, and we're going to put a picture right here in the video, um, mind-gut connection. What did you... Well, axis? What, what was this? Yeah, gut-brain axis. That's gut the brain name of it. Gut-brain axis. So okay. it's the whole, the whole idea how basically your brain has an impact on your gut and your gut has an impact on your brain and so three of the things that I wrote down that I had listed was that stress or your brain if you have anxiety or any problems within the brain it can disrupt your acid level in your stomach and it could disrupt the bacteria in your stomach right Mm -hmm. if you're constantly under stress it's going to change the environment in there and so it's going to disrupt that microbiota And as well, it will change that barrier lining. Remember I was talking about that leaky gut? If you're under high, high stress, it will affect the permeability of that lining over time. Let's talk about stress for a second. Just Mm -hmm. a few examples of clients you had that Mm -hmm. no matter what they were eating, though, like they were still gaining weight because they were under so much stress? Yeah. What was happening with them? Stress is interesting because with gaining weight, most of the time what happens is when you're – 
um, when you're a person that's a, that's trying to lose weight, let's say, and because you're already in an obese kind of position, either you're 10, 20 pounds or more overweight, and you're trying to lose weight, if your stress level is really, really high, that means you're pumping lots of cortisol, the stress hormone, yep. and you're pumping out adrenaline nonstop. When you're pumping out cortisol, your cortisol is actually pumping out from these little glands in the back of your, uh, on top of your kidneys called your adrenal glands. And those glands are actually in control of a couple of other mark, uh, markers in your blood. So it controls your sugar being pumped out. So that's why a lot of times whenever you're under high, high stress, if your sugar levels aren't balanced because you're pushing yourself so much, you're going to actually crave more sugar because your body wants to calm down, wants to have a balance. A lot of times people are really, really stressed out as well. One of the other things that the adrenal does is control sodium levels. So a lot of people will say, oh my God, I'm under so much stress, but I, I just want chips, I want salty things. And it's because the adrenals under normal circumstances would control the sugar, would control the sodium. But now because the stress has been so chronic over time, high, high stress levels, those sugar levels are disrupted and your body's craving it. The sodium is disrupted, so your body's wanting that as well. And then it also affects the sex hormones too. Oh, and with, with so. people under stress and then they start drinking coffee, mm-hmm. puts more stress on those adrenal glands? Yeah, coffee is a whole other thing because coffee is actually a stimulant. And so when you drink coffee, it squeezes your adrenals, Mm -hmm. squeezes those little glands, and it pumps out more cortisol. It gives you more of that adrenaline, that pump that you you want, right? Because it gives you that energy. But the bad thing is that it actually, it can deplete magnesium and it can deplete B vitamins as well. Because it's a diuretic, right? You go to the washroom. You usually pee more often if you drink coffee. There is some yes. water in coffee. Yeah, for but sure. You'll find that it shunts your your hunger, and then it makes you go to the washroom as well. When I stopped coffee, mm-hmm. like bowel movements were nowhere near. Maybe it was just an adjustment, but I found it so strange. Yeah, because it actually t- uh, I, I call it like it tickles the lower nerves in, down there in the, the lower intestine. Right. And it causes a release. Mm. Yeah. Kind of okay. like speeds everything up. Yeah. Yeah. It's great for your liver, though. It's actually it helps your liver function better. Having a little bit of bitter coffee. Yes. Every day. I would 100 percent suggest it. If you drink coffee the right way rather than yeah. a triple triple from Tim Hortons exactly. with sugar and a bunch of cream. Yeah, and dairy is a whole other topic too with inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we okay, we'll that. we'll go on to that that dietary quiz and and all of that in the paleo reset mm-hmm. later. But the the oh wait, what do we want to talk about? I was going to suggest yeah, basically the gut brain axis. Okay, and just some research that's just come out from there that I, would I thought love was really to hear cool. It. So one of the first things was I saw I found a. a a paper article on it's a 2018 journal article from the clinical what is it called journal of clinical medicine and they were looking at clues to the pathophysiology which means like the way that the disease ibs has been created because for a long time as you know doctors will tell patients oh you have ibs but it's not really a disease like mm-hmm. ibs is not a disease it's just that they they wanted to call it something you know so they call it irritable bowel disease uh, or sim- symptom um but what's what basically what they're finding out now because of the gut brain connection is that the disruption in the microbiome disruption in the bacteria in your gut actually has a significant imp- 
impact on your brain. It has an impact on your brain function. It has an impact on your brain's be on your own behavior as well as your cognition. So, so everyone, think, I wonder if with the correlation or causation between people with IBS and depression, if there's a higher rate if you have that diagnosis. Yeah, that's that something would be we could. Yeah, we could look. At. At, yeah, yeah, I wonder if there's to any see the correlation between the two. Like people with depression have IBS. Right. Yeah. Now maybe. you're saying that. That you're, when you say gut, you're talking about large intestine, colon, small intestine, and stomach all in all in one. Yeah. Not just the bacteria in your stomach breaking down these foods. No, because the bacteria is actually everywhere. It starts in the mouth, cheek to cheek. Cheek to cheek. I should have remembered that. Yeah, cheek the bacteria is everywhere. Right, right. Everywhere, everywhere. Okay. But, yeah, and, but they have different functions, right? But in, so. in times, if we go back to stress, in high stress, mm-hmm. in the stomach, you're not actually absorbing nutrients or digesting right there. Yes. And if you're not digesting well in the stomach, then absorbing nutrients when you're under high stress in the small intestine, that's not working well either. That's right. Okay. You're totally right because there's two nervous systems. So basically you have a nervous system that's involved in fight or flight, which is go, go, go. You're running away from a bear, right? That's your stress system. And when you're in that stress system, you know, your heart's rate, your heart rate's going fast, your pupils are dilated, you're running away from things. You're not thinking about digesting at all. So when you're in that stressed out system, your stomach acid secretion is stopped. It's inhibited. Your enzymes to help you break down food, also inhibited. So people that are trying to eat when they're stressed out or when they're driving or when they're walking or or when they're, you know, even um, doing something that's really stressful or like working, it doesn't make any sense because the food's just going to sit there because right. there's no secretions. There's no stomach actually being activated. You have to go over to that rest and digest area of the nervous system where it's the opposite system where you're completely relaxed so that those enzymes can start being formed and the acid can be there to break down your food. I think if, because you're originally from Portugal, mm-hmm. I think even if you look at different countries in Europe, they have a, and even, well, let's just stick to Europe and Portugal. Yeah. There's like, you sit down, they treat food totally differently than we it's do. It's a ceremony. It's a ceremony. It's a it's, ceremony. Yeah, let's it's, enjoy. Have let's fun. enjoy. Let's sit with friends and company and it's, Sure, we could even say that the food's different in what they eat. Let's just say it's better food, but just the act of eating, and as you just said, like you're in this eating mode with your body. And the same, they, there are studies that come out about sleep and why when you go to a hotel or if you're traveling a lot, it's not just the jet lag that helps you not sleep as well. It's because you're in different environments all the time mm-hmm. and your body doesn't really know what to do, where if you create something that's familiar like your bed is your place to sleep your body can then be vulnerable to sleep because you're very comfortable you know you're safe Mm -hmm. it can be the same thing with food right your body needs to know it's time to eat it's time to relax we can be vulnerable to to all these nutrients right i think that's one thing that we're doing in in drive-throughs just like come on man that was a bad invention drive-throughs come on yeah we're in that much of a rush yeah shoot drive pick up go so the big thing about digestion i always tell my patients is when you when you're mindful about your food you start by smelling it and that's why it's so nice to be able to cook i know you cook and so do i i mean i'm not a very good cook but i I call it fuel food i cook to feed my gut bacteria that's what i do right but the whole idea is that you're smelling the food right you're smelling so already you have like your nose receptors picking this up and sending a message to your brain oh, sweet food is coming or bitter food is coming. 
sending a message to your stomach because of that gut-brain connection saying, oh, have some acid there, have some enzymes to break down fat, have some other molecules there to help you break down the food already just by smelling the food, even though you haven't eaten it. And then when you're working with the food, with your hands, you're touching, you're feeling, you're getting extra sensory information, letting the stomach know, wow, food's coming. Then you might take like a little bite and you might start, you know, getting your appetite um, ready for that digestion to actually occur. So it's so important to be mindful with your food. What you're saying is so true. Right. And yeah, mind, there's actually a term called mindless eating. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad. But uh, what a lot of parents are doing is if their child doesn't want to try broccoli or they're, they're not wanting healthy food, well, you put an iPad in front of them and they're going to be entertained and they won't really think about the food and they'll get it down mindless eating Oof, so that sounds awful oh it's bad baby. we don't want I that i know i know so like what are you teaching kids that that food is just uh it's a means to an end it's just like get it done so then i can go play but i think we need to what's food. next yeah what's next like this is it you're you're <laughs> eating let's enjoy what we have right now i think that's really important so mind gut connection is huge. Let's talk about rats and little mice. Oh yes, this is connects connects me to this crazy. Well, there's so there's massive amounts of research on rodents and bacteria. Yeah. They call them germ-free animals. So what they did is they take these rats and these mice. Well, specifically, let's say let's pick one of the studies, and it was a rat. Okay. And so they take the rats and they empty them of all their bugs. So germ-free rodents. There's no bad bugs in these. And then they go to a depressed uh, patient and they'll take the poop, okay? So dysbiotic poop, dysbiosis means the bacteria that's not really healthy, right, from a depressed patient. And they put, put that poop into these rats. And the rats within weeks, literally, it did not take long, started to show signs of depression. So they stopped being interested in playing with their toys. They started having like alarm. So whenever someone, um, there would be like a sound or whatever, they would be startled easily. They showed more anxiety symptoms. Whoa. So from the, all, these re- all this research that came out from these rodents, research like that, they decided to do something else, which is, which is really cool. I just learned about it. So the National National Institute of Health in 2017 they started something called a fecal um, fecal microbiotic transplantation which is a clinical trial I don't know how many numbers of people that are doing this but they're taking healthy poop from a healthy individual without any depression freezing the poop making it into little capsules giving it via mouth to depression patients and in 2020, the study gets finished and concluded. So we're going to find out the results. Whoa. Right? So can you imagine they're basically eating shit? They're eating shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Tell but depression to eat shit. Let's do this. No, seriously. That is so cool. Yeah. They fecal transplants. Yeah. They what started it because of all the, like, the gastro, uh, the gastro diseases that had, like, C. difficile, these bad bugs that people couldn't kill because they were so resistant to kill with actual medication. So they started doing the transplants for that. And they got better. People got 100% better. So then they thought, okay, well, why don't we take the same technique and apply to depression patients? So if this works, this is changing our healthcare system 
big time. That is massive. Yeah. Um, so that was really exciting when I read that. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Well, I didn't. So there is, again, with the healthy bacteria. Healthy right? bacteria. Amazing. Oh, and then remember what I was telling you earlier and how uh, there's a couple of researchers talking about how now this microbiotic bacteria, this healthy bacteria, can actually change your genes. It's called an epigenetic. Epi means new genes. So the whole thing about, oh, you know, my parents were depressed and had high anxiety, so I'm going to be depressed and have high anxiety. Well, if you take care of your gut, like the foods that we're going to talk about later on, if you start taking care of your health and your gut, you can actually change the transcription or your DNA. So your DNA then can change your brain and then your brain can change your depressive behavior. Whoa. And then later on, if you have kids, they don't have to have it. Right. Unless they go downhill and start <laughs> eating sugar and alcohol and all that. But did we, stuff. oh, we should talk about sugar when? Maybe next, yeah, next episode? Let's, oh, yeah. well, let's, let's talk, talk about, about sugar. Can um, talk about it now? We have okay. We we did well, the the rat and mouse. Well, you know what? No, let's move on to okay. So for for listeners and watchers, we we all want some takeaways. Right. Um, although there's going to be links in the descriptions for for a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. But if we're looking to create this healthy gut, okay, um, where where do we start with food? The hardest thing to do is change, man. Oh my gosh, it's far easier to take a pill than to actually decide what we need to eat three three times a day and really make a conscious effort to do so. Mm-hmm. So where can we start with? With let's just start with breakfast, um, which is something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, and do we need breakfast? Yeah, hundred. I want to answer your question, but I want to make sure that people know that it's good if they if they feel like they might not if they don't know if they have a digestive problem or anything wrong, that might might be worth to get assessed. And I have that quiz that we can maybe post up if you're okay it's with in that. It's in the it's in the bio. Yeah. Yeah. And, just and what's this them, digestive quiz? It's basically just a series of questions asking you about your gut and how, like for example, one of the questions is uh, my bowel movements are irregular. Sometimes I have constipation. Sometimes I have diarrhea. And you'll just like start circling the points based on what you have, what you're feeling, what you've been feeling for the past couple of months. And then based on the number, it will tell you whether or not, okay, maybe you should actually see someone. So it's just kind of like a guide, right? I like doing this with patients, especially in the beginning. And then as we start getting better and better in their treatment, then we can see the number change. Yes. Which is really nice, right? Okay. But anyways, back to your whole question about what? Well, it's, it's what are <laughs> some good question? foods? Like, where do we start with with this? Okay, should so we start with what's away. bad and what we should take out, or what we should put in? Because both are really important. Okay, well, I mean, it's easier. I think if you want a win right away, it's easier to add things in than take things out. Okay, even though we a hundred percent want to take things out. <laughs> Right. So in terms of adding things in, people can just start with kind of like I I call it the paleo. This is a big word because people have been talking about it. Paleo means paleolithic. Paleolithic means caveman days. And I ask patients all the time. I'm going to ask you, what would a caveman eat? Okay, but cavemen only live to like 30 years old. Why should we yeah, be eating what they eat? Because did? of infections and stuff. We don't have to worry about that. Ah, okay. Right. So they that's ate a good from point. the earth. They didn't have any serious chronic diseases like we do. And that's what we're talking about. Depression is a chronic disease, diabetes, right. all these blood pressure, all these things that can be treated with our own diet. So if we take the good from the caveman and then the good from Western oh. medicine and what we've been able to do with vaccines and everything. Okay. Yeah, I love so. That. 
let's say a caveman uh, would hunt, so they'd probably eat some meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, hunter gathers. I don't think they uh, there was no agriculture then, so maybe some berries, maybe some some fruits off trees, yep. uh, lettuce leaves, nuts, mm-hmm. um, and then they would just have a lot of sex. <laughs> of course, <laughs> they would have to. What else is there to do? Exactly. That's all I would do. If okay, I was so there, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they would. Yeah. What What else am I missing? What What else would they eat? So okay. So I mean, the, the basic thing is that you're basically eating from the earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they would fish. They would catch birds, and they would some sometimes if they got lucky, they would catch meat. Right? Because meat was harder to, and bigger yes. to catch. And the good thing is the meat that they would eat, they would be eating grass. It would be bison or venison eating grass. Right, so they're not eating corn or wheat. These like big animals eating this like toxic stuff that's inflammatory to okay. us. <clears throat> so, anyways, and most of them were eating vegetables. It's like high, high vegetables because they're eating from the earth. Right. Right. So they're eating either fruits, vegetables, berries, nuts, stuff like that. Just stuff, anything that you can get from the earth. So if you're eating, if you're looking at your day, if you're looking, let's say for breakfast, for instance, you'd be looking at your plate. Let's say if you have a round plate and you'd want half of your plate to be all greens. Mm. That's something that's really easy. So what could be, what could you put there for for breakfast? For breakfast for greens, greens. avocado? Yeah, avocado is a fat though. Yeah, but it's green. So yeah. you just lied to everyone. I totally did. But Shit, avocado isn't that green. That right. It is very fatty. In the morning, yeah. you want some fats in there? Yes, 100% you want So fats. could we do a bit of avocado in the morning? Yeah, we What's can some- actually. Okay, how about we start with the plate again? Imagine a plate. Okay. <laughs> I'm losing it. I just lost. I'm okay. so sorry. We start with it's the plate. my fault. I totally led you astray. It's no, but I'm thinking for breakfast, I was going to say like salad or something, but I don't want salad for yeah, breakfast. Yeah, I want salad for breakfast. Okay. No. So you take a plate and you divide it in half. Half of it's got to be green. That greens is going to be your carbs. Your carbohydrates are your vegetables and your fruits. Okay? okay. I know a lot of people eat grains and some grains are really healthy and we can talk about that another time. Yeah. But mainly lots of greens. And then if you look on the other side of your plate, you divide it in half and half one quarter of your plate's going to be a protein and the other quarter of your plate's going to be um well a small amount of it's going to be a fat. So avocado would be a fat. Okay. So if you had for breakfast, you would have, for example, you could make... We have some eggs for the protein. Yeah, eggs for the protein. Okay. You can have a healthy fat like avocado. You can have like a smashed avocado on top. Yeah. And then maybe some arugula or something like that on the bottom. Mm. And then I always like root vegetables. Root vegetables are delicious for you and they really help the brain calm down, I find. Root vegetables. Yeah, like a sweet potato or turnip or like... Yeah. um taro yuca all these weird weird looking vegetable plants and you just boil them or you can just roast them they're really easy to eat right and they have got tons of nutrients because it's from the soil from the earth right yes um speaking of soil really quickly Mm -hmm. with with the agriculture and and how we're we're mass producing this kind of food are we depleted in magnesium because magnesium used to be rich in our soils is that something you see a lot in your practice yeah i mean i haven't done the research behind it but i know for a fact that we're deficient in magnesium because almost every single patient i know i put on magnesium really and they get huge benefits from it unbelievable yeah because magnesium helps with the nervous system and it helps with the muscular system so it helps the nerves calm down Mm. then it also helps muscles relax Okay. Right, and it's very good for the brain in terms of helping to sleep. 
So, and mood, magnesium deficiency. Well, we know when you're under stress, the three things that are used three times faster when you're under stress is protein, magnesium, and B vitamins. And actually vitamin C should be added to that list too. Okay. So I know. So the big thing is you have to be careful when you take magnesium because magnesium does drop your blood pressure. So if you're on other medications and your other medications are dropping your blood pressure and you go home and you decide to take this magnesium without knowing exactly how much you should take, you can actually cause, uh, you know, an adverse effect annoyingly. And this is why we should see a doctor mm-hmm. before you take supplements. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Just to see what else wanna... you're on and lifestyle and everything like that. Yeah. Okay, so we started with breakfast. That's really helpful. So no, I want to give you three breakfasts. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. But, but just to think of the plate, right? We have the protein, yeah. we have a little bit of fat, and then we have carbs. The grains and carbs. Carbs. Right, got it. So if you were to make paleo pancakes, have you ever heard of these? I have, but I don't know what's in them. So you mash up like sweet potato, boiled. You add maybe like two, three eggs. That's your protein, right? And then you can add some coconut oil or some olive oil to like mix it all together. And if you want, you can add a little bit of coconut milk if you want to make it a little bit more watery, you know, Mm. instead of like thicker consistency. Yeah. You can add a few seeds to it and just plop it, like mix it all well together. Plop it on a pan with a little bit of coconut oil and just flip it. And they're delicious. And if you want, you can put protein powder in it too if you want extra protein. Yeah. Well, with the sweet potato, that's why it's so great because it is sweet. Yes. If you didn't know. There's, um, you know, we create like zucchini loaves or something like that with banana and zucchini. The sweet potato, they've created, you use like cocoa powder Mm -hmm. and and sweet potato and like these paleo brownies, which are so So good. good. Yeah. So, yeah, and there's so much good recipes out there. There's so many good paleo books too. Well, that's that's what's really interesting. It's we have more resources than ever to actually make these things happen with, let's say, less ingredients and with what we mm-hmm. get at the store. And it tells us the cost breakdown and nutrient breakdown. The resources are out there. It's just oh, making that change and creating that habit, right? Yeah. So, what other breakfasts? That's that's. You know paleo, what, paleo, anything else? So like, um, I'm going to try paleo, those paleo pancakes. Paleo for sure. pancakes. Yeah. Then we have just like a regular eggs. Uh, there's something that I do for patients that it's really easy to make are called omelet muffins. These are still eggs. But basically, you in a big bowl, you just mix up a bunch of eggs. You could chop up some red peppers, maybe some broccoli, onions, garlic, throw it all in there. And then you pour it into these little cups with muffin containers. And you just bake them in the oven. And they last three to four days. And you have these big, big muffins full of like delicious eggs, some good healthy fats, maybe some olive oil mixed in there. Whoa. Yeah. Are, are you chopping? Are you like chopping up the broccoli a lot? Yeah. Are they well, you totally can if you want. purifying it? You to make it more muffin like? Yeah, if you want. No, no, no. I like I usually like the chunks. It's chunky. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and like I um, parsley in there too. What's the, what's that? Come on. What's that eggy thing called? It's a I pie. Oh, quiche. Quiche. It's, it's kind of like a quiche. Kind of like a quiche, but not. I don't like quiche. The consistency is weird. Well, you have to make it yourself. I want to yeah, try. Right. Yeah, yeah. But it's just easy, right? Cuz you can make like 6 of them and then you have them all ready for breakfast. Right. Right, because that's the big thing. I, I think one of the easiest things for patients to do is to create something what I call a master list, and you just write out like at least ten recipes that are really easy that you know for sure you can make within fifteen minutes. Let's mm, say, yeah. And this way you don't have to think about it because a lot of patients are like, "Oh, I don't know what to cook," and it's like if you have your master list, 
you know exactly what goes in it. You have those things at home, so you yes. can create it. And then with the master list, it's like you know every time you go grocery shopping, this is kind of what I need for these 10 recipes. Right. Which and is great. over yeah. time, you can add something new to those recipes, yes. right? Yes. And so I think the joy of cooking is kind of, you know, we'd, we'd rather go out for a, you know, and have everything done ourselves. But I think there is joy in 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 preparing foods mm -hmm. and knowing that you created this and you did it from scratch i think that's a really good feeling yeah, and even with sure. depression too to have that progress of of doing something for yourself and having something that you accomplished knowing that you did something on your own mm -hmm. i think that's a mood boost in itself to have okay you're eating this nutritious food and you created the recipe and you did the research and you went shopping wow. you're almost on a mission to actually you know to to have this idea of flourishing mental health for yourself so i think sure. that's a, a big thing with food that I relationship totally forgot. I, I just remembered that uh, i read research on the mediterranean diet diet yes. being the best for your brain you know, yeah I to talk to you about that lots of fishies right yeah so high high fish high high olives high high olive oil aha uh -huh. those right? portuguese those portuguese <laughs> Not to say that we don't have depression because we still do. Yes, right? but the the high fats is part of mm -hmm. uh, is part of Healthy keto. Fats. But is it really part of paleo too? Because we only had a bit of that a bit of fat for that breakfast yeah. idea. Usually, in terms of fat, I like I like giving patients about one tablespoon to start because it's, sometimes it's hard to digest fat. Yeah, and if you have a bad digestion, because fat's really thick. And it can sit in your stomach for a long time. Mm. So just start with just like a little bit, like a big tablespoon of olive oil, for instance, or a big tablespoon of coconut oil. Per day or per meal? Per meal. Per meal. Per okay. meal, yeah. You well, can start easy. like that. Well, I can have coconut oil by the spoonful. On, I love it. It's so I can good just, for oh, psh, yeah. easy. It kills bugs, you know that? It kills bugs. So there's bugs. like a nutrient inside of it. It's called caprylic acid. And when it gets activated, it can actually kill bacteria, viruses, fungi. Love it. We I teach this technique to patients called uh, coconut coconut pulling. Have you heard of it? No. It's where you take your floss and you actually floss floss like really quickly, right? And then you take a big scoop of extra virgin coconut oil or coconut butter, put it in your mouth, and you gargle ten minutes. And then it gets all watery and like hot and weird in there. It's cleaning all the bugs. You remember how we said the digestive system is from cheek to cheek? Right. So it starts cleaning out the mouth and then you spit the whole thing out. Because if you swallow it, you get really sick. No I had a patient way. who was sick for a week. What? She swallowed it. Yeah, because the bugs in her mouth made her sick. Whoa. They traveled all the way down. Well, so, is, that the, is that the point of uh, Listerine doesn't do that? Because mostly alcohol. <laughs> Listerine does do that for sure. But I you have to Listerine. gargle it. Like usually but Listerine, I'll gargle from for the earth. Yeah, of course. It's a little more fun. Listerine gets the eyes watering. And, oh, man. <laughs> that can numb out the cheeks. Like, have you ever oh, gargled, gargled for a while with Listerine? Jeez. Not in a long time because oh, I have my... coconuts now. Well, yeah, I'm going to try that. So you <laughs> coconut oil. Coconut butter. The same butter that you use oh, to cook. Oh, coconut butter. Yeah, coconut butter. It's like it's actual solid when you oh, buy okay. it. Oh, okay. I have some. I'll, I'll show it to you yeah. after. Yeah. And you just take a whole scoop and it goes in clunky into your mouth. Yeah. And then as you start gar gargling, it starts getting all liquidy. 
And after 10 minutes, because that's when you Do you know how long it. 10 minutes is? Yeah, but I mean, you can just do it and then walk around, clean your kitchen, cook some food. That's what I do first thing in the morning. Do you do that every morning? No. I okay, usually, I was going to say. I usually suggest two to three times a week. Okay. But just start with once a week and try it out. I want to try that for yeah. sure. I wonder if it's like you're gonna be clean gum the health and everything too. Like you're the actual health in your mouth. Yeah, but gums. the gum is connected to the heart. It's connected to your brain. It's connected to everything. Well, dental health is mental health. Ayo rhymes. (laughs) So we have some foods to. Are there any other foods that you have on this list? Um, Because well, okay. So we have like the paleo to vegetables. Yeah, lean proteins like fish. Lots of healthy olives. Yeah, that's about it. So what about red meat and all of this? And uh, yeah, the carnivore diet. Well, no, no, we don't need to go that far. But we can have that on a separate. But what about you know? Uh, you know, I've always heard the the size of your fist kind of as a piece of red meat in a meal. Oh, wow. We're used to, you know, 12 ounce steaks or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but red meat, isn't that really crucial for, uh, for zinc and some other, or sorry, iron and some other pretty big nutrients? Nutrients? I would say red meat, the number one thing that it has that's really good. I mean, it has a lot of things, but yeah. one of the amino acids, because it's a protein, right? So one of the amino acids that's in it, it's called tyrosine. And tyrosine is the precursor to dopamine. Tyrosine? Yeah. Tyrosine is in red meat. So tyrosine, well, I yeah. mean, it's found, it's a, it's an amino acid, so it's found in most proteins, but specifically really, really high in red meats. And so tyrosine is the building block of dopamine. Dopamine is what makes you feel focused, alert, concentration, motivated, right? So when you have higher amounts of tyrosine in your body, you can your body can make its own dopamine which is really nice, right? The big thing is you have to be careful once again because you don't want to just go go out and buy this tyrosine if you don't know what else is going on with your mental health because I know that if you take too much, it can be not a good thing either. Okay. I'm not even going to... I'm not going to talk about that in this one, but it's kind of like um, it's for people, anyone with addictions, anyone with like doing drugs like cocaine and other things like that. Uh, if, if the chemical imbalance is disrupted and you go take high, high tyrosine on its own, it can give you seizures. Whoa. So you okay. definitely want to take tyrosine because tyrosine is really important. Yeah. But you want to know what amount you should take. If you take it in food, then your body's going to absorb what it needs. Right. Which is nice. That's why food sources are always a little bit safer than taking just individual pills. Yes, of right? course. Of course. If, if we could get all our nutrients from food, that's the best thing we should do that right away rather than supplementing. But most often... Not not possible. <laughs> Interesting. So what about, so leaner meats, uh, chicken, turkey, is that okay? Yeah, chicken, turkey, grass-fed yep. beef, grass venison, fed. bison, anything that's out there if it's roaming the lands. Like even when I go to Portugal, when I drive around in Portugal, literally you'll see grass in the fields. You'll never see a, you'll never see a factory or a slaughterhouse. It just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Yeah. They don't have that. They're outside. They live their whole entire lives. They're not injected early so that they can get fat so we can eat them, right? If you ever look online, you'll actually see pictures of a Mm -hmm. steak that's grass-fed versus corn-fed or wheat-fed. The steak that has corn-fed or wheat-fed will have extra white fatty pieces. And I get it because it's more delicious, but it's inflamed. The tissue is inflamed. Mm. So it's the same thing when we eat those high corn, high 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 wheat type of foods that we're not supposed to be eating that much of. Have you ever seen a picture of uh, Kobe beef? 
Yes, they're massaged or something. They're right? massaged, and I don't know if they're gra- they must be grass fed. Yeah, they, but they it's, are grass fed. It is really it's like marbly. Yeah, it is so fat, fatty. But um, yeah. I've never had it because I think it's some ridiculous price. Yeah, it's like a hundred dollars a steak. Yeah, a friend of mine just got back from Japan, and he actually had it. And he went to the farm. Uh-huh. The cows are well treated there. You, the, he watched them massage them. Oh, they massage the cows. Gosh. <laughs> if only the cows knew what was coming. They'd enjoy oh, the massage no. even more. Oh, it's so hard, right? It's so hard because there's a lot of vegans out there. And I support veganism completely. But it's it's really nice to be able to get, you know, many sources of protein, not just from grains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Stuff. For yeah. sure. So... We talked about the good foods. How about some quick bad foods? So we know what to add now, and all the links are below for this for the digestive quiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about some foods, foods we can too. avoid right away? And foods, uh, foods to avoid some big ones. So anything sugary. So the, one of the studies that I was looking up was um, in the Science Republique of 2017. They looked at sugar and specifically sweet beverages. Mm. So your soda pops, right? Soda your pops? Coca-Cola. You call them soda pops? I don't know. What do you call them? I never drink <laughs> them, so I have no idea. I, I call them, yeah, I guess pop. Soda is American. Is it? And then you just combine soda and pop. You, <laughs> man, people are going to go nuts. I'm on, I'm on fire right now. <laughs> okay, so get rid of your soda pops. So anything with sweet or artificial flavors, right? All these colors, like you'll you'll sometimes you'll even see sports people drinking these like blue and pink um you know beverages like do you even know what it like what is that it's an artificial sweetener it's an artificial flavor it's an artificial color it's not real so it's definitely changing it's not feeding your good gut microbot bacteria right if anything it's hurting them right Mm -hmm. and then if it's hurting them if it's not feeding them then it's going to be affecting your brain right so we want to not be taking those things in. Anything that's a sweet beverage. They actually, the, their study looked specifically five years down the line, long-term health with people that had higher indexes of having these sweet beverages. And over 25% of people had higher um, incidences of recurrent ma- major depression when they were drinking these sweet beverages compared okay. to people that had very low index of drinking these sweet things that's huge so and, that's and it's important. that's the so did they just look at beverages in that study or uh, was it all kinds of candy or yeah, it was sugar intake from all sweet foods as well as beverages okay yeah it was both so that's interesting i mean the other things that in terms of uh, staying away from excuse me um the the dairy products that would be because those usually have usually have high sugars. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Like yogurt. I had a patient of mine who was on. She was she was having she was giving it to her kids. Olympia coconut yogurt. She's like, oh, it's coconut yogurt. It's really good for you. But it wasn't. When you look at the ingredients, it wasn't made of coconut yogurt because coconut kefir or coconut yogurt is amazing for you. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be eating that because it's from a plant, right? But yogurt is actually from an animal, right? And so the sugar levels on her yogurt she was giving to her kids, she was giving them a cup, and it was something like 26 grams of sugar for one-third cup. Whoa! And so that's she took, disgusting. Yeah, I asked her to take a picture. She sent it to me, and it was like an Olympia brand or something. I don't know, one of the, one of the normal brands. And she was blown away. I said, okay, this is a treat. I'm like, you can still have this. I'm not saying you can't. You just can't have this every day for breakfast because you're actually hurting your brain and your digestive system because your bacteria does not like sugar. It likes the opposite of sugar, which is fiber. That's why we were telling you to have vegetables and fruits. 
because that gut bacteria when they eat fiber it's kind of like you know Popeye and spinach yeah Popeye would eat spinach and Popeye would get stronger right your gut bacteria likes fiber when it eats fibrous vegetables fibrous fruits and either like seeds like flax seeds and chia seeds and all that stuff it actually feeds the gut bacteria in there they get stronger so that they can produce more acid more enzymes so that you can actually digest and absorb things Sugar is, if you're buying things like yogurt and and packaged goods, Mm. sugar is impossible to avoid. Cereal. Cereal. Mm. Cereal. I haven't had cereal in so long. Yogurt even. I have this one brand that I'll use sometimes. I'll mix it in granola and puts Mm. berries in for breakfast. And that's the lowest sugar that I found is per cup. It has six grams. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll show it to you after. But it pisses me off to see like even granola. I just want like granola with oats without and yeah but then they throw all this brown sugar in like it's so hard to avoid you go to cereal you go to bread even like bread they're adding in all this sugar Mm -hmm. it's so hard to avoid you can always ask yourself how long is something sitting on a shelf if it sits on a shelf for a long time what is it going to do inside your intestines Mm, like a mcdonald's burger that can sit out and Forever. Never, never get more. Or Tim Horton's bagel. One of our chiropractors decided to do a test on a bagel. Yeah. She bought it for her kids and she basically forgot about it. The kids had left left it in the back of a, uh, what's it called, in the back of a car on the way to a soccer tournament. And so she found the bagel three months later and the bagel was still intact. There was no mold, nothing. Oh. It was three months. It was like in the summertime the soccer thing happened and it was like in the fall. It's summertime and too with like, all that heat in the car and it's still uh yeah. and and she was i can't believe people are ingesting this stuff yeah what's it doing for your gut bacteria right it's not it's not feeding them so the 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 idea of paleo which just means get your food from the earth it's it's kind of back to basics eating right and mediterranean and mediterranean eating but i people must well actually no we'd be surprised how many people don't know this but is, is this not common knowledge for, for people or your patients that you see? Are we eating? Are they buying uh, their kids' Lunchables still? Are package. we Packaged yeah, foods, chips, and I feel, all this stuff? I feel terrible for parents because parents have such a hard time with it, right? Yeah. Because they're like taking care of, you know how hard it is to take care of yourself, let alone if you have little people to take care of. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're trying to do their best. And sometimes this packaged stuff is easier yeah. you know so unfortunately something's got to give yeah you know and then they feel guilty about it too well i know well that's the hard which part is too. hard yeah because that mentally that must strain if you think you're a bad parent and what you're doing to your child's digestive system but yeah. i mean the truth is like this is one of one of our generations that you can eat everything packaged and processed you don't have to eat anything real Right, because right. it's all there. You can have a breakfast in a package. You can have, you know. You can have soylent, which you still so, need to. Did you look that up? Soylent. No, I never looked that up. Oh, okay. It's like I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, it's though. just you can have a shake, and it's all the nutrients you need, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, but uh, that's but kind of where real. it's going. And so our bodies have changed because of it, because of all this processed convenience food. Yes. So. Well, our bodies have better. changed in the short term, but the long term, it's not enough time to evolve our whole digestive system over millions, like hundreds of thousands of years, I should say. Yeah. So we still need to be eating what we used to. Our bodies still crave the vegetables and, and this paleolithic diet, but what we're giving it 
is a sedentary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We're giving it less sunlight. We're giving mm-hmm. our bodies, right, more sitting, more screen time, which we'll talk about, you know, on another podcast. And yeah. then more packaged foods and preservatives, which it's our body. When you drink a Coke, your body's probably like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Right? It's like a drug. It's it's a huge drug. It's like there's a, I'll, I'll pop it on the screen here. There's a, there's an image of what happens to your body when you drink a Coke. And it's really cool. And it goes into what we were talking about, like the nervous system and insulin response and your pancreas going like, it it is so cool um, to see. And it's interesting that you bring this up, though, because that's actually one of the research articles that I read was talking about how our society, like our guts and our body is still working in the past because there's only so many cells and there's only so many connections. But meanwhile, the way that we're living, our body hasn't adjusted to it so it's exactly yeah, what you said you can't you can't right? adjust that not, quickly we're not having it there's no activity like you said yeah there's not not enough sunlight to be absorbed like we need vitamin d it's on every single cell in your body it's supposed to be absorbed yeah right well we, yeah, i always think that yeah. we're we're just apes driving cars <laughs> like really we have no, this old so we have this two hundred thousand year old mind and it, that's not enough time to evolve an entire mind and body, not even close. Mm-hmm. And we still have this old mind, but look at the, look at what we have now. And but we're still that old mind that still wants to live as it used to, and that's how we used to thrive, right? Yeah. But now it's just completely changed. I'm all for technology, and Me I'm too. all for this amazing lifestyle that we have. But as far as food is concerned, and rising rates of depression, which we talked about throughout this whole whole episode, right. that's like the connection that you can't avoid right there's not a quick fix to that one unless unless gotta go you, old school gotta go old school until, ceremony yes sit down right make love to your food <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's george costanza when he was having sex and he's like the only thing that would make this sex better if is i if i had a sandwich while eating sex <laughs> so he hit a sandwich in the drawer next to the the, in the bedside table Oh yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Pastrami sandwich. Oh, man. And that's why I love that show. Oh, my God, that's so hilarious. I know, I don't awesome. know if I'd be repulsed if a man pulled out a sandwich while we were having sex. You're like, I like, get what's it. what's wrong with but... me? What do you mean you want a sandwich? Yeah. But it's the ceremony. <laughs> okay, you're right. Um, the, so we have just one more thing is anything else to avoid as far as food? We Sugar. Packaged foods, of course, back Anything to simple artificial, eating. Anything like artificial. Artificial colors, artificial flavorings. Yeah. Um, if you can, stay away from all the hydrogenated oils. That's another like topic. Fake Canola oils. oils and stuff that are Canola really. Oils. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're really all processing, right? It's like canola oil goes through 32 different steps of processing. One of the processing steps is bleaching. And so you back in the day, canola plant was actually a healthy omega-3 plant, but because of all the processing and making it more useful so they can sell more, um, it's turned into an f- inflammatory plant instead of an anti-inflammatory plant. Whoa. So, so all can all is olive oil, I guess it can be processed the same way, depending um, on which kind you buy. Yeah. Olive oil is it's it's very anti-inflammatory, but okay. it's it's best to use it on top. It should be used cold not warmed because oh. it changes it has a very low boiling point yes right melting point or whatever it's called so you don't want to heat it up right because if you heat it up it changes the molecule so oh. olive oil is kind of gentle and you're supposed to just literally Drizzle put it that. on top of everything so make your soup pour olive oil on it 
have your vegetables, steamed vegetables, pour olive oil on it yeah. after the fact. Oh, in the Spain, other one, it's avoc- just like yeah. they give you the balsamic and the oil and you dip the bread in. Oh, my God. So good. I know. I know. And, well, the uh, avocado oil has a higher boiling point than even canola oil. Hello. It's great. Good for you. Expensive. It's so expensive. but You can get the spray that's cheaper. Oh. That's why you don't have to use that much. Oh, cool. Yeah. But, again, it's like... Oh, Money's a whole other topic with with this podcast. Money, okay, people have way more money than they think they do. Mm-hmm. No, it's really weird. To a point, like anyone who's watching this podcast too has access to internet and probably has a phone, internet connection. But a lot of the time we choose what we can afford in life. Yes. There is a choice. I chose to buy that TV. I didn't have to buy it. That's $400. It's a cheap TV, the cheapest one I could find. Wow. But you know what I mean? I paid 800 we- for mine and it's smaller. <laughs> Where did you buy that? Yeah, right? <laughs> Kijiji. But you know what I mean? It's like we choose, okay, you want a nice space. Well, you're going to have to choose not to maybe travel as much. You choose to travel as much and put your money towards that. You're going to choose to maybe live in a smaller place. Yeah, choices. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's all about choice and how we budget. Millennials are terrible with their money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrible. I know people who do Uber, um, have Uber Eats like three times a week. Like, What are you doing? Well, if you eat vegetables and fruits, it's cheaper. It is, and that out. was a total. Oh, I was it so is. Dumb. No, no, no. I was so dumb in previous episodes. I'm like, it's so much cheaper to eat uh, processed food. That's why people don't eat healthy foods. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not true. I did the no, calculation. Yeah, you should actually do it one day. No, we should, we should go do, grocery yeah, shopping. Right, do the math and everything. Yeah, yeah, and actually buy the food that you would order. No, like, that's order right. Order the food, do the math, and then yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you should do that. Ba- that would be a bag fun. of lentils is like two bucks or something. A huge mm-hmm. bag. Especially if you go down to like the markets. Like yep. the Asian markets are amazing. Oh my priced. gosh. Kensington cheap. market. Yep. Asparagus, so cheap. And, and, and broccoli and berries, yeah. especially in the Asian market. Mangoes, it's like. And only yeah. buy things on sale. I only buy things on sale. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I know. It feels so much better. Yeah, you're getting Even a deal. Even if it's like 20 cents off, you're like, I got a deal. I got, yeah, <laughs> I got a deal. Amazing. Look at me. So I think yeah. this calls for future episodes, but to everyone listening and watching, I'd like to thank um, Andrea. Thank you. Andrea for coming on the podcast and channel. Uh, please give a like. Please give me an email. Please uh, make sure that if you like this episode, you let us know so we can have her on again. And I know there's a few things you want to add at the end as far as your contact info and what's going on there. Yeah, for sure. If anyone has any questions about food and depression and like what naturopathic and medicine can do for you, you, you're more than welcome to send me an email and I'm happy to even just book in an exploratory call, 15 minute call where we just talk about where you're at and I can kind of give you some guidance. I've done that with other patients and sometimes I end up having to refer them out to find a doctor in their area, which is fine. But the big thing is know that there's people that care, know that there's doctors that care and know that there's doctors that want want to see you on the right path so that you can heal your brain because you can heal your brain you can heal your brain you heard it here first so everything uh is in the description of the podcast and in the youtube video thank you so much for coming on thank you and thanks for listening to depression to expression everyone stay strong keep being you express yourself and heal your brain yes all right let's have a coca-cola